have our children escaping. You guys, you guys can stay if you want. You just got to be quiet, okay? Because people are sleeping. There'll be people sleeping during this. Just kidding. That's just <laughs> I wasn't going to point anybody out. I do have a, a, a very um, important announcement to make. I received from uh, the Inland Empire Baptist Association, which are uh, the churches that are ministering to the Inland Empire, and uh, they are uh, asking us to share this with our congregation. And um, the, the, the letter that I received, it's from the Executive Board of the Inland Empire Southern Baptist Association, and they ask that we share this urgent information with uh, our congregation to prayerfully consider um, what we are, what they're talking about here. I don't know if you've heard of AB 2223. Assembly Bill 2223 is what they call the Reproductive Health Bill that's uh, is now being uh, authored. It was authored by Assemblywoman uh, Buffy Wicks. I think she's from District 15, which is up around Richmond and, uh, and Berkeley. Yeah, go figure. Anyways, um, currently... <clears throat> the existing law requires that any county coroner to hold inqu- inquests to inquire into the determination uh, of the circumstances in the matter of cause of violent, sudden, or unusual deaths, including deaths related to or following known uh, or suspected self-induced or criminal abortions. Now, the coroner has to do an investigative report if there's some, somebody dies suspiciously or something happens violently. And so what they've been able to do is defile these cases uh, in the state and, and uh, what they do is they, they ask how it, how it happened. They try to figure out how it happened. And so abortions that have been done in the past, a lot of times they're being done by people that don't have the licensing, I guess, or they, they're self-induced and the child lives a little bit longer. And then, you know, a few days later they pass away. The coroner has to make an investigation. How did it happen? Criminal charges are brought up. Well, anyways, uh, what, what they are passing now is that this... Uh, bill is going to do if it passes, which is it, it's in they're voting on it as we speak this week. And if it passes, then uh, the coroner will not have to report any such death of any unborn or uh, aborted child after until after 28 days. So in essence, there's a 28 period after gestation, after the baby is born, that if the child dies due to an abortion, whatever whoever did it, whoever whoever didn't do it, or if it happened, uh, they don't have to follow up in any kind of inquiry. Now, the understanding of it is trying to wrap your mind around, first of all, why, why abort babies, number one? It's the murder of innocent children. And now, if a child is, is alive, and you know, there are a lot of people that have given testimony to uh, children that were uh, babies that were supposed to be aborted, and they lived, and they survived. There are people that have said, I, I'm, an aborted, I'm a survivor of abortion. But if, if this bill passes, then if the mother's displeased or something happens, they can actually uh, legally abort the child before 28 days, somehow. I'm not really too sure how all this is going to pan out, but it, it has just been ongoing since the beginning of, well, time. And uh, the more that we follow this, the more that we look at this, the more we realize that we are in a time that is unprecedented. It, it is a time of... Uh, of prayer, a time of ourselves getting ready and understanding what is the will of God. What, is, what does God want us to do as a church? Now, as you know, I don't get involved politically. I don't get involved in any type of uh, 
in any type of promoting one candidate or another, uh, Democratic or Republican or Libertarian, whatever it is that you decide, it's, it's fine in how you vote. And as a matter of fact, you know, uh, if people want to do abortions, then it's fine. You know, I mean, that's, I mean it's not fine. But if it's the state law, then, then, then yeah, I mean, I guess you can do what you want. You know, it's, it's the state law. And, and, and to, to, to just stand by and because these laws are being passed is one thing. You know, we, we can't do anything about that. They're passing these laws. And, and if we break these laws, then we become criminals. But don't expect me to accept it or to agree with it. You know, just because it's a law and you're doing it, then it's, you know, that's on you. But don't put it on me that if I don't agree with you or agree with this situation. And I know that I talk, you know, not only to you, but to others that are listening online, to people that have either been through or have had or considered uh, an abortion. And, and there's grace. There's enough grace. that We're going to talk about that today. There's enough grace at the cross to cover even that. And there's enough grace to cover. And, and that child that, that is born into this world or even conceived, it still has a purpose. We don't understand what that purpose is, but there is a purpose. Now, I don't understand how it all pans out, but I know that when we get to heaven, God's going to let us know how it is that these, these children that were not born, even those that um, have been miscarried, they had a purpose. And so uh, we have to remember that. So we're going to bring this up and we're going to pray for this, uh, for, for this bill, of course, and for the people that are even contemplating. You know, let's, let's just, the way they're contemplating it and the way they're writing it up, you know, we should just let people have their abortions. And if the baby dies before 28 days, then we don't need to know how it died. Okay, if it died, it died. That's it. It's still a fetus, according to this bill. But let's pray. Anybody, any other prayer requests? Anything else we can pray for this morning? Yes, Ken. Sylvia. So, I'm sorry? Your son, Ernie. Alexis. Complicated case. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you with uh, mixed emotions, hurting hearts, and uh, just wondering what this world is coming to. And we know that this is something that has been going on for, for ages. In the, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the worshipers of Baal that would sacrifice their children and uh, has now been manifested here in the world, in the United States, and it seems to be okay. And the argument always is, of course, it's the woman's body. But we know, Lord, that uh, your word says that, that the birth of a child begins at conception. And so, Father, we earnestly pray and we ask God to intervene in some way that as this bill passes through the state. Whatever the outcome is, Lord, I pray that you use it to to change hearts, to solidify who your people are, to grab us and hold us so that we can be solid and firm in what we believe and in whom we believe. And Lord, each one of us have various prayer requests and many different things. And I pray, as Paul did, and we're going to learn today, that each one here just grows in that abounding love that comes from you. That each one grows in their knowledge and in their wisdom and discernment, in their sincerity. And that each one grows in the ability to know you more and more. So, Father, thank you once again just for visiting with us today. I lift up to you, Kelly. I know that her situation continues to decrease and 
her pain is, is just difficult to handle. And I, I pray for Ernie as well. And, and God, just the, the struggles that he goes through in life and, and surviving. And just for his mom as well and for Danny that, that care for him. And the patience that you've given them. And I ask you that you give them just an, an added touch of your grace to continue on in caring for Ernie. And for Alexis, Lord, and the complications that she's in now, Father, I pray that she finds you and recognizes that you're still in control of all things, as well as for each one of us, Lord, in the various things that we go through. Help us to see these, this portion of Scripture that Paul is, is talking about to the people in Philippi. Help us to see how it applies to us and how it is that we are to put this into practice in our life. So, Lord, I thank you for all those that are here, those that are listening, and for those that couldn't make it. I pray that you lead us in all things. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen and amen. Let me just pick, off where I, pick up where I left off at last week, because you know we're going through the book of Philippians. And somehow, um, you know, you have your outlines with you. I'm going to give you the fill-ins here in just a minute. But, but I, I want to just kind of back up a little bit. Paul is in prison, as I mentioned to you. He's writing to the people in Philippi. Philippi was this, uh, the city that, was, that had a bunch of Roman soldiers that had retired. It was one of those military cities, I guess, that people that these Roman uh, military officials would love to go to. Because it, it just, you can just do whatever you wanted. You know? It was one of those types of cities. And in this city was this little church that Paul founded. There were three people that the book of Acts talks about that he led to Christ when he first got into, into uh, Philippi. And uh, one, of the, one of the people that he uh, was able to, to talk to, and, and the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart. Her name was Lydia, a seller of purple goods. She was a well-to-do woman. Another person that uh, Paul had, was able to, to share the gospel with, remember the young lady that was um, making money for her servants, for her masters, excuse me, she was a servant. And what she had, she had this ability to tell the future, or, you know, fortune tell, and she would tell all kinds of things. And when she saw Paul and Timothy walking through the streets, she kept proclaiming, these men are from God. These men proclaim God. These men are preaching the gospel. And, and she heard, and she, she was listening, and she knew God, and she heard the message. It was like a person going to church, and she kept hearing the gospel message, and she kept hearing Paul preach, and yet she had not been saved until Paul finally tells her, you know, demon, get out of her. She came to know who, uh, who Jesus Christ was, and she received Christ as her personal Savior. And the third person that we hear about in the book of Acts is the jailer that was taking care of Paul and Silas in, uh, in prison. And uh, they, they were singing. There was an earthquake. The doors opened up. Their shackles fell off, and it was dark. And the, the guard wakes up, and he looks, and he says, oh, my God, they're gone. I'm going to kill myself. And Paul stops him and says, no, we're still here. We didn't take off. We know that we should be here. By the way, they were, they were only arrested, not for being criminals, but they were enemies of the state. They were proclaiming Jesus Christ in a place where you shouldn't be doing so. And, beloved, one of the things that we kind of took off from that as we kind of wandered off a little bit, I said, you're going to be persecuted. Genuine believer, you're going to be persecuted, not because you're a Christian. You're going to be persecuted because you go up against the state when they start passing laws like this. When you go up against the state, you become a, an enemy of the state, and you will be cast into prison or everything would be taken away from you because you're an enemy of the state. Not because you're, ultimately it's because you're a Christian, but because these laws that they're passing now and all these things that they're forcing you to abide by, and where the Word of God clearly says, we don't do this. And so we are preparing, we are learning, we are reading, we are developing, and, and we're developing you, and I'm developing myself, and we're developing together, and we're digging deeper into the Word of God. So when that time comes, we should be able to stand firm. Because, beloved, it's coming. Believe it or not, it's coming. 
And, and so at that, at that place, at this city where Paul was at, and we find it in the book of Acts chapter 16, and he's telling us these stories, Luke is telling us these stories, that's where he planted this church. And these people, they grew in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they shared it with other people. And Lydia, with all the influence that she had, and this servant girl that was all of a sudden not able to... Uh, you know, first of all, give the fortunes of other people. And that's the reason that Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, because these guys went up to the magistrate and says, hey, these guys just took away our livelihood. So they cast these people into prison and they said, you guys are going up against everything that we know. And then the jailer and all these people that were growing and developing. Paul finally finds himself in prison and in prison he writes a letter to the people in Philippi. And this is the letter we call Philippians. He wrote three letters, as a matter of fact, four, I think. It was Ephesians, which we already went through. It was, it's uh, Philippians, Colossians, and also uh, Titus. He wrote to Titus as well. Four letters that he wrote. He was at the end of his life. He was in prison, getting, getting ready to get beheaded. He had, he's contemplating a lot of the things that he's done, a lot of the people that he's met. He's, he's writing things down. He says, you know, I, 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 Ephesians, you guys have got to get with it. You guys are just, you know, falling apart. Look at Philippians. Look at the people in Philippi. They are my joy and my crown. Paul was so, so, so praiseworthy of the people in Philippi. He just loved them and lifted them up. This letter is called the letter of joy. And when you read it, you'll read that Paul says rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. This is the letter that, that it seems to be full of joy. But when you read it, you find out what's going on in Paul's circumstance. You realize, you know, Paul was having joy in the darkness. And that's why we labeled this portion of uh, this series of Philippians, finding joy in the darkness. And so when, when Paul gets to this point, he already says, I thank my God. And, and I remember you always in verse four, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever God began in you, he will see it unto completion. That was last week's message. If you haven't heard it, if you weren't here, please, I ask you to, to just look at it, read it, uh, listen to it. Because a genuine believer, once you're started, when God started you, he started you on the right path. Nobody can get you off that path. What he began in you, Paul says, I am confident. I, I understand. I am so just assured that he who began a good work in you will see it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We talked about the day of Christ Jesus. We talked about the day of the Lord. And we talked about the day of God and the vengeance. The day of Christ Jesus is when you receive your rewards. And Paul says, why worry? You know, there's all these things that are going on. Yeah, they're passing these laws and you're going to have to go up against them. Why worry? Just when you go to prison, start singing songs, just like they did. And so we left off in verse 7. I didn't quite finish that portion off, but I just want to kind of touch on that in verse 7, where it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, you know, I, I feel, I, I'm so excited. Happiness is something that you have to kind of work at. It's, it's something that has to happen. It's uh, because of your circumstances. Happiness comes from the word happenstance. And happenstance or happiness, it, it depends on your surroundings. And if your surroundings aren't good, then you're not happy. And Paul is saying you got to have joy. We're going to touch on joy a lot, you know, a lot during this whole sermon series. And when we get there, I'll be able to explain that to you a little bit more. Because this joy that Paul talks about is not a joy that you can just get. 
It is supernaturally infused by the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. This is a love that only the Holy Spirit can give you. This is a joy that only the Holy Spirit can give you. This is a peace that only the Holy Spirit can give you. We'll talk about those as we move along through this, this message. Excuse me, this series. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. You know, I, I love this. He's always talking about you all. There he goes again. I, you all, it's like he was from Texas. Y'all. I, I love you all. I love all you guys. But, but he not only said it. He didn't say, you know, I love you like, you know, you're my friend. Or I love you, you know, when you do something good for me. I love you. Agape. I love you with this unconditional love, he says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's ultimate goal had always been to grow believers, to grow them so that you may abound in love, that you may abound in knowledge, that you may abound in understanding, that you may abound in discernment. And it's not this feel-good type of a thing. It's not just coming to church and feeling good. People come to church sometimes and say, you know, I didn't feel it this today. You know, I just, I just didn't, I, I didn't get fed. I didn't feel like you were really talking to me. Well, I'm not really talking to you. I'm sharing with you what the Word of God says. If you didn't get anything out of this message, well, you misunderstand that the sermon and the message and the music is, is all de- dedicated to God. And it is him who imparts to you what it is that he needs for you to know. Not here by coincidence, you're not here by accident. God wants you to get something. And if you come closed already and understand, you know, just, yeah, whatever, just make me feel good. If I don't feel good, eh, maybe next week I'll come back. Or maybe I won't. But the, the life of the church has always been to grow believers, to grow disciples. It is for the believer, the church. Word, ecclesia, is the called out ones. Those called out of the world. The message, the word of God is for the believer. So you see, we can't expect non-believers to abide by this. This is why when a person says, you know, I'm going to get an abortion. Well, I think that's wrong. The Bible says that's wrong. You know, but you do. If that's what you want to do, that's on you. But you'll be held accountable for it. I'm not saying, I'm not calling them anything except for a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And if you follow through on that, you're going to be held accountable for it according to Scripture. Now, if a person wants to continue on in their desires, then God says he's going to hand you over to it. One day there will be an account. But Paul is praying for his people. He's praying for the people in Philippi. He prays constantly. And here are the things that he's praying for. And if you pull out your outlines, I'm just going to give you the fill-ins because we're probably not going to go through them all today. I just I started realizing, I said, you know, this is just the word love is going to keep us busy for a little while. But number one, just fill this in if you'd like. Number one, Paul wants you to grow in abounding love. He wants you to grow in abounding love. And, and you know, we'll, we'll go over this again later. So if you didn't catch it the first time, don't worry about it. Number two, he wants you to grow in spiritual excellence. Paul says that as a pastor, he's praying, and I should be praying for you as well, that you too grow in spiritual excellence. Number three, grow in spiritual integrity. You should grow in spiritual integrity. And number, th- number four, grow in genuine good works. Grow in good works. Not that good works save you, but your salvation should produce fruit. And that fruit is good works. Number five, grow God. Number one, Paul says, I want you to grow. 
I want you to grow in abounding love. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Anybody that reads the Bible, anybody that knows anything about the Bible or church, God is a God of love. Amen. You hear that in church all the time. God loves you. For God so loved the world. And because God loves, he expects for you to love, not only to love, but to grow in this love. And and the scripture, the God of scripture is also the God that gives you this love. Look at the first verse in 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And it's not just this kind of love that you have as a friendship love of this erotic love of this, this type of, you know, like love. This love is an agape love, an unconditional love. If anyone who does not love unconditionally does not know God, because God is a love, uh, God is love, an unconditional type of love God is. It's not that God has, or God will show you, or God will teach you. God is unconditional love. Do you know that the reason that you are a little higher than the angels, even though they're the greatest created beings, and people look up to angels, and even worship angels, and even follow angels, that you, a regenerated, reborn, born-again Christian, are higher than the angels. Because when the angels sinned, there was no redemption. They messed up and they were cast out. And they were done. There is no redemption for angels. There is no repentance for angels. They can't say they're sorry like you and I can. But you have been redeemed. Jesus Christ died on the cross for humans, not angels, not demons, not anybody else. And when an angel sins, he's done. When a demon sins, that's it. That's why, that's why God is love. See, because I can sin over and over and over again, and I was an enemy of God, and I was totally apart from God. And God, I was, I was God, uh, an object of wrath of God. And God saved me from himself. And when he saved me from himself, that made me a, a believer, born-again Christian, and that made me a little bit higher than the, than the angels. God loves fallen humanity so much that he gave his only begotten son. See, the word love. Now, some of you already know this, but I'm just going to go ahead and share this with you as well. There are at least eight different types of of words for love. Out of these eight, we only get three of them in the New Testament. We don't get all of them. The first word, which is in the New Testament, is eros type of love. It's a sexual passion. And it's the kind of passion that represents sexual passion and desire. And it is the root for, root for the word erotic. And today we associate this feeling with falling in love or something exhilarating or exciting. But, but you know, it, it's more of this sexual attraction. And you hear this a lot in today's world. Oh, I, I just love that girl. Man, I just love that guy. Really what you're feeling, what some of these people are feeling, is not this unconditional love that God is talking about. It is this erotic attraction that you want for this this guy or this girl. And and it's just driving you to to just do whatever you can to get this love. Erotic. Erras. Philea is a deep friendship love. And some of you have this love for your friends, your your, your people that you're really acquainted with. And you love them. I say, I love this brother. I love this sister. You know, I will do anything for them. And that's the kind of love that you have for people that you really like and, and that are friends. But it's not an unconditional love. There's still conditions. If that friend burns you, a lot of times you say, okay, that's it. See, God loves us unconditionally. If I burn God, he still loves me. He still, he still, when I was a sinner, the Bible says, he died for me. 
And that's who he is. And, and so this, this phileo love is more of a friendship love. And you'll get that word out of Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. And, and so that's, that's phileo. Ludus is a playful love. Ludus is a love that, that people fall in love kind of like when they're hanging out, maybe at a bar or a nightclub or somewhere, and they're kind of flirting with one another. And, you know, you get all giddy and, ooh, you know, feels, and you guys say, oh, man, I think I love that girl. Or I think I love that guy. It's this Ludus type of a, it's emotional type of thing. It's kind of like a friendship love, but it has more emotion to it than anything else. And some people mistake, mistake that for this agape love. And it's not, this word is not in the Bible, by the way. Phileo is, and eros is. Uh, there's another word called pragma. It's a long-standing love. It's a love that tests time. And, and you know, you've been, uh, you love this friend. You, 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 you like this person. A lot of times you find it within families. You find it, uh, it's a deep connection between two friends or lovers. Uh, pragma is a mature and realistic love that stems from deep understanding and unique harmony of the fated souls. Some people call this my soulmate. And sometimes it's not necessarily a husband or a wife or a significant other, but it's just somebody that you connect with on a, on a deeper level. Again, that is not the love that we're talking about. And then there's the fallacia love. Fallacia love is the ancient, uh, where the ancient Greek classics, what they used to use this word for, was an important kind of love because they recognized that you cannot share what you do not have. This fallacia type of love is love of yourself. You see, be true to yourself. You love yourself as, as long as you can love yourself, then you can love other people. You cannot give people, according to the Greeks, you cannot give people what you don't have. And so you got to have this love for yourself, this fellatio love that is for you first and foremost. Now, when I'm talking about these types of love, you're probably recognizing some of the signals that you see out there that people mix up for love. You hear a lot about these in the movies and in music videos, and, and you'll come across them as you hang out with people, and, and wow, man, I really just love that person. I can just feel the connection. You know, there's like this, this energy that's within me, and, and, it, and it makes me do some, some strange things. Yeah, well, that's mania love. Mania love is where we get the word maniacal. You know what I mean by maniacal? It drives you crazy. It drives you insane. insane. You're, you become a stalker. You want to just be with that person, though, even though that person doesn't want you. And that you're, but you're madly in love with this person. That's exactly what's happening. You are mad. Literally, a maniacal. And so all these words, and the Bible uses only the first, the first two, and the third one is the agape love. Agape love is an unconditional love. It's a love that is that has no conditions that God gives you because he is love. It's unique to the New Testament. It's unique to the Bible. It's that type of love that most people want and desire. But you see, the enemy, what he does is he confuses you with all these other loves. For the Greeks, they understood this. They, they were able to to move this around. And Paul came at them with agape. He says, you know what? You need some agape love. I ain't going to give any of that away. What? You want me to do it unconditionally? What, they, what do I get in return? Nothing. You get agape love from somebody else. It's not what you can get. It's what you can give. And when you give this agape type of love, and a lot of people are afraid. However, what they do is they mistake all their feelings, all their friendships, all these deep-seated maniacal things inside of their heart. And they call that love. And they expect an agape love. Agape love is, is a biblical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Agape love cannot be given or cannot be received apart from Jesus Christ. And the agape love that is found within the church, this love that Paul is talking about, I want you to abound in this love. I want you to be able to, to just do this without any type of inhibitation. Just don't even think about what you're going to get out of this love except for some more agape love. This is the love that God gave us. 
when somebody came to Jesus, they were trying to trick him, a, a lawyer. He says, you know, well, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus told him in Matthew 22, 37, 40. And he said to him, you shall agape. You shall love unconditionally the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second one is like it. You shall agape, love unconditionally your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This type of love, when, you, when Paul is asking us and he's praying for us to abound in this kind of love, he says, when you can love God with no conditions, when you can love others with no conditions, you'll keep the whole law. That's it. It is done. It is taken care of. And it is a fact. In fact, apart from genuinely godly love, every, every, anything else, anything else you try to do, if you don't have this agape love, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You can have every ability to be able to understand and to see and to, the faith that you believe that you can move mountains. But if you don't have this agape love, this unconditional love, Paul says you're just a loud gong. You're just a loud noise. You're really nothing. See, this love is a divine love. It's a love that flows from God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Not this storge love, not this phileo love, not this erotic love, unconditional love. This love comes from God. And John should know. John's book, John chapter, first of all, the Gospel of John, and 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, all speak of God's love. And whoever loves unconditionally has been born of God and knows God. You see, if you don't know God, you can't have this kind of love. It is not possible to try to muster it up. Because there's always that condition on the back of your mind. I love when. I love if. I love because. But as a believer, you just love unconditionally. Amen, my grandson says. Amen. I know it. My mama has it for me. That's the kind of love that a mother has for a child. I was just going to say that, too. The kind of, yeah, that child can't do anything for you, can't give you anything except for that joy, that peace, that love that only you can give. And this child doesn't know anything. As a matter of fact, most children, okay, I'm sorry, he does. He, he, he knows a lot. I'm sorry, papas. Yeah. He does, but, 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 you know, we're all sinners, you know, and, and I'm, so, I'm so, sorry to say, but even the children, we're all <laughs> Okay, I'll move on. <laughs> God is love. And we love because he gives us that type of love. And you see, that type of love, the closest that you can get to it is that what a mother has for a child. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, Now concerning brotherly love. He's talking about this brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write to you. He's talking about this phileo love. For you yourselves have been taught by God to agape love. I don't have to tell you about this brotherly love because you have this unconditional love. You have this unconditional love. Everything else falls in its place. See, all the other loves are good loves. They're okay. Even the eros love is good because I, I want to feel emotionally attracted and attached to my wife as well. And that eros love within the, confound, the compounds of marriage is good and it's healthy and we should grow in it. But you cannot have a healthy growing a storge love, a agape love, a phileo love, a, or what, any kind of other love 
if there is no agape love. Beloved, I, I know you just just look out there. Just look out there at all the people that claim that they got married because they were in love. You know what the number one reason for divorce is? Well, marriage, of course. Yeah, marriage is the number one reason. You get married, you get divorced. But the, the number two reason for, mar- for divorce is I don't love them anymore. I fell out of love. That's not agape love. You know, I, I, just, I just don't feel for them like I did. We're incompatible. He doesn't have the income and she's not patable. No, uh, we, we just don't mix anymore. You know, we had this erotic love. We had this friendship love. We had this, you know, we had this ludus love, you know, where we flirted with one another. We had that, but you know what? It's just, it's, just, it's all gone. Yeah, because there is no agape love. See, beloved, I, I need for you to understand what Paul is trying to say here because I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, you know, I, I love my brothers. I, you know, I love this church. I love, you know, I, I even love pizza. We only have one word for the things that we like. I can say I love God. And people will walk away from here today saying, well, I love God. I do. I love him so much that I even came to church today. And I'll come back next Sunday. And I come, I've been coming here for every Sunday because I love him. Of course I do. Do you? This love is not only a divine love, it's a genuine love. It's a genuine love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. It's genuine, it's real, it's an unconditional, and it comes from Jesus Christ to you, to me, through Jesus Christ. In John 15, verses 12 and 13, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater agape, unconditional love, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You want to express this genuine agape love? Jesus says, let me show you how it's done. He laid down his life. Lay down his life and gave it at the cross. And so Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in this unconditional love. And then he goes on to say to them in in Ephesians 5, 25, And this is how you should do it, husbands. Unconditionally love your wives as Christ unconditionally loves the church. That's how you do it. And so this is a high order for men. As a matter of fact, when you read, we we went through Ephesians 5, uh, and the very first thing that it says in verse verse 22 is, wives, submit to your husbands. And a lot of people just throw the rest of the chapter out. We don't want to hear this anymore. It's done. And we described this. We talked about this. We shared this a little bit. If you want to get that message, you should. Because when you understand that the wife is supposed to submit to her husband, because this is the biblical order, and it's not when, or it's not if, or it's not because, But the husband is supposed to unconditionally love his wife. Unconditionally. Like Christ loved the church. And if she sins or she falls or she does whatever it is, then the husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Now let your imagination go wild. But, 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 you are to love your wife unconditionally. Unconditionally, like Christ Love the church. Many guys, you know, oh, I love my wife. I'll give my life for my wife. Definitely. If somebody comes up to me or to her and is going to hurt her, I'll, I'll definitely stand up. I'll take a bullet for my wife. Okay, well, I'm glad you'll do that. However, it goes deeper than that. And let me just throw another little trip you up a little bit more. Wives, Paul didn't say you're supposed to love your husbands. 
So you don't have to love your husbands. Okay, I, I didn't mean it like that. You, you, you will grow into that unconditional love. The Bible says to submit to her. Now let me ask you something. Which wife would not want to submit to a husband that is going to love her unconditionally? And because Jesus Christ loved me unconditionally, I don't want to do anything that hinders or, or hurts the ministry. I want to serve my master. And wives want to say the same thing. I want to love my husband because he loves me unconditionally. Why would I want to do anything? Who wouldn't want to submit to that? That's a whole different message. But Paul is saying, you know, this love is an active love. It's a love that abounds. It's a love that's dynamic. And it continues to grow and increase. And, and it goes from here to there. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul says, you know, I, I want you to do something. Do me one thing. In Romans 13, 8, he says, Oh, no one anything except to unconditionally love each other. For the one who unconditionally loves another has fulfilled the law. And he goes on to say, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment that is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You know, you love unconditionally. You're not going to steal. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to murder. You're not going to do these things. Why? Because you love that person unconditionally. You want the best for that person. Paul says, I want you to abound in this love. And this kind of love is how you're supposed to grow in this love. And uh, beloved, once the, once the people in this community know how much you love them unconditionally, we're going to have to lock the doors to keep people out. I'm sorry, man. We got standing room only. You'll have to come back for the next service when they find out how much you love this community. See, this is why Paul prayed this. He says, you know, I, I'm going to pray that you, your love just abounds and grows. Because it needs to be, people are dying and going to hell every day. And, and to come to church and to sit, this is not ministry. You're being trained. You're being developed. There are people that need to hear this message. That God loves them unconditionally and he wants you to love him unconditionally. He wants you to love each other unconditionally. And when people hear that news, you know what? This world is starving for genuine love. They're getting it from everywhere else, but they're trying to. And it leaves them empty, broken. It leaves them, well, in the kind of world that we're in today. Paul says, and the last thing I want to share with you, it's a discerning love. It's a love that discerns. It's a love that you can understand, that you can, you know, discernment. Aesthesis is the Greek word. It's the word where we, it's the word where we get our English word aesthetic. You know, and it, it means, the meaning of aesthesis is almost the opposite of aesthetics, actually, which largely has to do with the, the personal taste and preference. Call, Paul calls believers to put aside their personal tastes and preferences. Well, don't worry about the aesthetic, uh, pleasing things of the, of the world and things that look good, sound good, feel good. What you need to do is you need to focus rather on achieving a mature, insight and understanding. This word only appears here in the New Testament and refers to a high level of biblical, theological, moral, and spiritual perception. And you know, there are a lot of people that say, well, I'm pretty moral. You know, I don't, I don't sin. You know, I, I mean, I did maybe once a long time ago. I definitely don't steal. I do my taxes right. I don't treat people bad. I'm a good person. I don't smoke. I don't chew. And I don't hang out with women that do. I don't... Uh, I don't do any of these things. You know, I'm a good person. You know, but don't ask me to go. I don't need to go to church because I'm already okay. As a matter of fact, I don't sin. Well, you know, first of all, the Bible says that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. 
And people say, you know, and I know God. I know him and I believe him and I know that he exists. And so this is why Paul says, number two, I want you to grow not only in abounding love, but I want you to grow in spiritual excellence. The rest of Philippians 1.10, it says, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Some of your translations, instead of saying pure, it'll say sincere, which I like that word better. And I'll show you why in just a little bit. That you may approve what is excellent and so be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. The word sincere, it's Paul is saying, I want you to have this foundation of the gospel, you know, and they all build on each other. When you have this love, you'll have this excellence in the gospel, in the growth of spiritual excellence. You'll have love that that just causes you to grow in your spiritual excellence. And the next one also builds on the previous one and so on and so forth. But having a genuine deep love for God and even more so knowing and experiencing his love for for them and how God loves us, it, it raises us. To, 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 to a level that causes us to obey Him even more so. I've said this many times before. We don't know. We really don't know how much God loves us. Paul says, I, I pray. He said to the people in Ephesus, I pray that you just know how wide and how deep and how long and how high the love of God is. I want you to know this love. I want you to understand. I want you to grasp it. And the reason I say that we haven't learned that love yet is because we're still not reaching the people that are dying without Jesus Christ. If you had that kind of love, if you had that kind of love, you would reach out as far as you can. Paul says, I want, I want this to be a part of you. I want you to approve of it. I want you to see it in your life. He says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellence. I want you to approve. Approve comes from the word daikinazo. Daikimazo is is the word from krino. It's like an examining, a proven, a discernment, uh, a showing of of what it is that that you're trying to look at. It's almost like judging. Judging, we've taken that out of context sometimes. Sometimes people look at judging as condemning. And it's not condemning as much as it is evaluating. And what Paul is saying, I want you to approve this. I want you to just discern. I want you to look at it. I want you to see how good this is. And people tell me all the time, I know how good things are. I know, I know what it means to be to know God. I, I, mean, I believe in God. I see God. I, yeah, I even talk to Him from time to time. But we don't have this understanding of knowing God. We might know about Him. And people tell me that all the time. Yeah, I've been to church. I've read the Bible. Me and the man upstairs, you know, we're, we're good. You know, I mean, the big guy in the sky, psh, yeah, I, he's, he, he walks with me all the time. He's with me everywhere I go. And, and, you know, it's interesting because the Bible says that it's not that kind of a knowledge. It's not a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. Did you know that in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one? Well, you do well because even the demons believe. Even the devils believe. And the Bible goes on to say, and they shudder. And they're afraid. Many people go on and sin and they do all kinds of stuff and they don't even shudder at this oneness of God. They don't even recognize Him as their Lord and their Savior. But the demons? You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness, He was in the wilderness for 40 days. And He got hungry and He got tired. And the devil shows up. Okay, you're just a man. Because look, you're tired, you're hungry, you're, you're weak, you're fallen old, you're skinny, you've lost all your strength. 
Come on. If you are, he said, if you really are this, this God man that, that God said you were, that, you, that he's laid you out on this planet. Nobody else knows this. But you really believe this. You really think that you are Jesus Christ that just came on the, the, the uh, just came up, was just baptized. The Holy Spirit came down upon him. God says in a booming voice, this is my son and who I am well pleased. People looked around and said, what does that mean? And Jesus went into the wilderness. And as, as he was in the wilderness, 40 days later, Satan shows up and says, if you are the son of God. Well, he knew he was the son of God, but he will put doubt in your mind. He will put all these pain, look at you, you're a weakling, you're no good, you've fallen, you've stumbled. You, who wants to take you, pick you up? Don't go to church, because if you go to church, what's going to happen? They're going to look at you, they're going to laugh at you. Ha, 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 we know what kind of person you are. It's written all over your face. But the devil says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you really are the Son of God, you won't get hurt. Climb up to the tower up there, and, and guess what? Jump off. If you are the Son of God, God will save you. And every time that the devil came to them. Jesus didn't try to argue with them. No, no, I am the Son of God. Don't you remember the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and, and, and conceived me? Don't you remember that? He didn't try to argue or debate the case. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do not tempt the Lord your God. He came back with Scripture. He came back with Scripture with what he knew was right. Satan knows that he's the Son of God. When when Jesus was in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And there was a man who had had the spirit of unclean demon in him. And, and this demon, he cried out with a loud voice and he saw Jesus and he says, Ha! We, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. See, the demons know who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, the demons not only have a good Christology of Jesus Christ, they also have a good eschatology. Have you come to destroy us? A little bit later we'll see. Before the appointed time. They know that there's an appointed time. They don't know when it is. Their, their, their eschatology, their end time understanding, they, they understand who God is. The, time and time again. Here's another verse. In, in Luke chapter 8, verse 28, when, they, when, they, uh, when Jesus went across the lake to the uh, Gadarenes and the, this demon-possessed man that they try to hold down with chains and try to hold him down and nobody can hold him down, all of a sudden he sees Jesus and he falls before him. This is the word uh, to, to prostrate. And, and he, he fell in worship in a sense, recognizing the authority that Jesus Christ had and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus Son of the Most High, I beg you, do not torment me. Again, in Luke chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter there. These. So he gave them permission. They recognized his authority. They recognized his presence. As a matter of fact, when they said, please, don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us, to, don't depart us there yet. We know that there's an abyss and the angels have been cast there. And in Revelation chapter 9, 1, that when the fifth angel blows his trumpet, they see a, a star fall from heaven to the earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit or the abyss. And that's where these demons feared to go. Don't, don't send us there yet. We know we're going there, but don't send us there yet. Over and over again, these demons, as they come up against Jesus, they recognize Him, they proclaim Him, they know their Bible, but they're not saved. 
people after people that study about the Bible, that know, I know Jesus, but their lives have not changed. You know, basically what some people like that have is what I call demon faith. You have the faith of a demon. You know about Jesus Christ. You know that he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings. You know that he's going to return back one day. You know that he's going to uh, destroy this planet. You, you know all these things. You have this faith like demons. They believe and they know. But not enough to change your heart. Not enough to change your life. Not enough to change who you are. You see, you must be born again. There's no two ways about it. Jesus didn't suggest. He didn't say to raise your hand, come forward, say a prayer. I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again. That the prayer that a pastor or somebody asks you to pray to receive Christ is not a biblical thing. You're not saved. The sinner's prayer has never saved anyone. I know that sounds kind of, what? Wait a minute. But, but I, I went forward. If, if, you, if you're, you're transformed and if you're born again, it wasn't the sinner's prayer that changed you. It was God himself. It's God that opened your heart. It's God that gave you the direction. It's God that got you saved. It's God that made you born again. He is the one. It's a spiritual thing. And a lot of people have come forward. A lot of people have cried and, and said the sinner's prayer and they left here unchanged. And they're walking around thinking, but, but I said that prayer. I did that when I was a little kid. I even got baptized. I'm okay. You know, I'm all right. Me and the big guy in the sky are great. You know, and, and so if I die, I'm going to go to everybody goes to heaven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And, and people have this thought or this understanding or this thinking that I know God. Well, the demons know God. And I'm asking you, and I'm implore, I'm, I implore you, I beg you, that if you hear the sound of the Holy Spirit hitting and trying to convict and to cut. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit is here and present, He cuts. See, a lot of people gauge the Holy Spirit's presence by the activity that goes on. The jumping up and down and running from pew to pew type of thing, you know? Rolling down the aisles. The Holy Spirit's presence is present when your heart is being cut. See, Jesus Christ even said that. He said, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to convict the world of sin. Beloved, I'm a sinner. This convicts me. If it doesn't convict you, then there's something wrong with either the preacher or what you're listening to. Because sin is deep in my heart and I've got to eradicate it day in and day out, every day. And it is only by the grace of God that I am saved. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by what I do, not by what I've been doing, not by any prayer that I prayed. Now, I've got to admit to you that when I, got, when I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the pastor shared this message with me of amazing grace. We bowed down and we prayed a prayer. As a matter of fact, what he had me do, he says, okay, well, pray. You pray to God. How would I do that? Just tell him to forgive your sin you know, and repent. And as best as I knew how. God, you up there? You there, Lord? Here I am, broken. I, I'm, just, I'm just done. I know that if I die, I'm going to hell. I know that. I don't want my kids to go there. And now I understand that you don't want me to go there either. So whatever, whatever I need to do. And Jesus said, it's already been done. It's already been done. Your acknowledgement of what's already been done is what God needs to hear. And not only to hear it, 
but he needs to see it in your life. Not because he doesn't believe you. It's because you are an evidence. We're going to talk about the fruit. We're going to talk about the fruit that comes from that. Because Paul says, I want you to abound in this love. I want you to have this discernment. I want you to have this, this sincerity, this, this sincere. The reason I like that word better is because in, in the Greek days, they had this, this way of making this pottery. And, and when it was real thin, and the pottery sometimes would crack. And, and the, you know these unscrupulous craftsmen, what they would do is they would get wax and they would pour it on the side and then they would paint it and they say, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good jar. It holds water, but if it got hot, if it was put next to a fire, the, the wax would melt and then the whole thing would be wasted. And so what they started doing is uh, those that were ethical, they started putting a little stamp on it, sincere. In other words, without wax. And it was labeled on every, on every jar that they sold, any pottery that they sold. And you, have, you need this sincere, sincere, you need this pure understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I need to take my life and put it up to the sun. That's the only way that you can detect this wax. If you got the, the jar, the vessel, and you put it up to the sun, you can see it. You can see the flaws in it. You see, I need to put myself up to the sun, Jesus Christ, and I need to see the flaws in my life every day, every moment, every time. And we need to abound more and more in that sincerity, in the excellence, in the excellence of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to stand. I need to grow in spiritual excellence. My grandson says, yep, Grandpa, I know. I know. I need to grow in spiritual integrity. I, I knew that the word love was going to take me some time to try to get it across because I don't want you to leave here thinking, okay, well, I love God. But which type of love do you love him with? A friendly love? A big guy in the sky type of love? A, you know, hey, a brotherly love? What kind of love is it? Is it an agape love? Is it an unconditional love? Is it a love that you know that you would do anything for God? And if it is, then do this one thing. Jesus Christ came on the scene, and when he started proclaiming and preaching, he said, repent and believe the gospel. The gospel message. We're sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. And receive the eternal life that only God can give you. Jesus said, repent. That's not a, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. You repent. You turn from what you were doing and you turn toward Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And because he died on the cross with this everlasting, unconditional love, he expects for me to love him in return in the same manner. He expects for me to love you in the same manner. It is a genuine, pure love. Not like what the world gives. And we thank you, God, that you, were, you provided that love through Jesus Christ and the example that he gave us on the cross. We thank you, Father, that this love that is to abound in us gives us this understanding, this knowledge, and this purity of, this, of knowing this excellence that we have, that we should have. That it gives us the excellence and the spiritual excellence of, of knowing you. But not just knowing about you, but knowing you intimately. And so we thank you, Lord, that that you've made it clear. And it's just a matter of growing from this point on. And as we grow together, 
I pray, Lord, that we can go together. And we know, Lord, that you are growing this church and you are growing your individuals and your people. So, Father, we thank you once again for just giving us this opportunity to learn a little bit more about who you are and what you expect from us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. Please hang around for a moment. We're going to have a, uh, a little surprise for my daughter. She doesn't know it yet. But just come over and sing happy birthday. Amen. Amen. <laughs>